This is Jack Williams. Welcome to an EWTN Open Line week-long event. The Transgender Movement, What Catholics Need to Know, hosted by Mary Hassan. Today's episode is a cultural overview of the transgender movement. Mary talks with Ryan Anderson, author of When Harry Became Sally. After the program, we'll be back live with Father John Tregilio taking your calls and emails. But first, the Transgender Movement, What Catholics Need to Know, an EWTN Open Line week-long event starts now. I'm Mary Hassan, your guide to this series on the transgender movement, what Catholics need to know. Join us for this discussion today with Ryan Anderson, the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the author of When Harry Became Sally. We are going to be discussing the transgender movement and its impact on the culture. Stay tuned. Jesus answered, He who made them from the beginning made them male and female. Ryan, welcome. Thank you. We're delighted to have you join us for this discussion of the cultural impact of the transgender movement. And I can't think of anyone better suited to discuss this. You're the president of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. You're a policy leader at the Heritage Foundation. You have a PhD in philosophy. You've been a long time observer and analyst of what's going on in the culture. And you're the author of When Harry Became Sally, <laughs> one of the most impactful books on this movement. So thank you for joining yeah, us. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. And thanks for doing this whole series. Yeah. Great. Well, listen, why don't we define terms first? Sure. Okay, so when we talk about the transgender movement, what are we talking about? Sure, I mean, I guess the, the, the basic starting point would be to say the, the concept that the body does not determine one's identity and that your identity with respect to gender is somehow determined by something else. And it's unclear what that something else is. Mm -hmm. It's an inner sense of gender. Um, so historically, the transgender would have been that you could be a male who identifies as a female mm. or a female who identifies as a male. The more contemporary version is that gender is a spectrum, uh, so it's not binary, and that it's fluid, meaning that you could identify as both a man and a woman. You could identify as neither a man or a woman. You could identify as gender fluid, gender ambidextrous. So it's no longer just the transgender, mm. which suggests we're retaining the binary, but you identify as the other sex. Now we're doing away with the entire uh, sexual dimorphism, the entire concept of male and female. So um, disconnecting. Disconnecting it from, it from the body. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's an inner sense, unclear what's a, what, what it is a sense of, but mm -hmm. that then determines uh, your identity with respect to your, quote, gender, which is somehow different than sex. So those are, those are the basic beliefs. Now, when we think about culture, we think about those things we share in common right. as, as a people. You know our language, the what we read, what we, um, the norms of society, mm -hmm. our moral beliefs, things like that. What what can you say in general about how the transgender movement is impacting the culture? Sure, I mean I think you can start to see this with some of the uh, television shows and movies that start really gaining national prominence maybe five or six or seven years ago. The, the subtitle of the book, When Harry Became Sally, was responding to the transgender moment. Mm -hmm. And that phrase, transgender moment, was not my creation. I think the very first footnote of the hardback edition of the book um, cites eight different uh, media sources, four of which were kind of secular progressive, four of which were conservative Christian, that in their headline refer to the transgender moment. And it's about things like the Netflix TV series, Orange is the New Black, mm -hmm. the Danish Girl, the, the movie that was the profile of the very first transsexual um, surgical patient right. for who had transitioned, et cetera, et cetera, seeping in um, to the popular culture. You also see it going on uh, with schools uh, in terms of what the curriculum is going to be. And the curriculum shapes the culture, what yeah. the school policies are going to mm -hmm. be with respect to the language that we have to use, with preferred pronouns. Even the concept of introducing yourself with, quote, preferred pronouns. The concept in the workplace of the footer to your email, not just having your name, your title, your phone number, but listing your preferred pronouns. All of those things shape um, the culture in terms of what are the expectations. Right? Mm. The expectations now is that everyone has an internal sense of gender, a quote, gender identity, 
which means pronouns are conventional, which means we all have to assert、mm-hmm. what our preferred pronouns are, which means it's a form of disrespect to not use someone's preferred <laughs> it pronouns, etc., etc. Well, what strikes me is the contrast between moment and movement. Yes. So I wonder if perhaps people underestimated the impact that this was going to have on the culture. And, and when I go around and speak, that's a common comment.、Yes. People will say, "What happened?" How did this happen、yep. so fast? So how did we and, move、yeah. from moment to, to movement. movement? Yeah. Well, and, and I would say the, the the moment only arrived because of the movement.、Mm, and this、okay. is something that I mean, I think I had、um, somewhat of a greater insight that this was coming because of the work that I had done on the gay marriage、mm-hmm. issue,、right. because those groups were always LGBT organizations,、mm-hmm. and the T was always like the silent partner. Right. For twenty、yeah. years, we had a debate about what they called marriage equality. Um, when they got Anthony Kennedy first to strike down the Defense of Marriage Act in 2013, then to strike down state marriage laws in 2015 with the Obergefell ruling, those organizations didn't declare victory and shut down. Right. They pivoted, right, and they pivoted from the LGB to the T、mm-hmm. and to violating religious liberty, right? Because I mean, within the context of the marriage debate, it wasn't just about getting a piece of paper from the government. The legal redefinition of marriage was at the service of a cultural normalization and acceptance of same-sex marriage, which, is, which meant you had to, you know, harass the Catholic adoption agency, the Catholic、yeah. school, the evangelical baker, flowers photographer. So there was that part of what they pivoted to,、mm-hmm. but they also pivoted to saying, right now that we won on so-called marriage equality, we're going to win on trans equality. And you hear, you know, President Biden, Catholic、yeah. President Biden, saying transgender rights are the human rights issue of our generation. This is not a grassroots phenomenon. This、mm-hmm. is very much a grass tops.、Uh, not even the grass tops.、Right? I mean, this is very much like the activist organizations imposing this top down.、Um, I saw it the, the when Harry became Sally book comes out February of 2017, which means I was writing it all throughout 2016.、Mm-hmm. And the reason why is 2015 is when marriage is redefined.、Mm-hmm. 2016 is when the Obama administration started imposing many of the transgender mandates. Right. Title IX was formally redefined the word sex to mean gender identity in May of 2016. I think people forget that. Yes, I think I think they are are shocked by what we're seeing now. But you're right; these seeds were sown in the wake of the Obergefell.、Yep. And、decision. so I have a vivid memory of that because I was on the train coming back from New York City. The previous night was the Beckett Fund、uh, mm-hmm. Canterbury Medal Dinner, right? So I have we had this great dinner celebrating、yeah. religious liberty that night, and then the very next morning, many of us were on the same train, and our phones are blowing up saying. Biden or Obama administration, it was the Title IX regulation,、mm. and it was Section fifteen fifty seven of the Affordable Care Act, which unpacked. Which that yes, yeah, no. So this is important for viewers to know because、um, when Congress passed Obamacare, the Patient Protection、mm. and Affordable Care Act, they prohibited discrimination on the basis of sex, meaning you couldn't treat male and female employees differently when it comes to our health insurance. When、right. we go to an emergency room, you couldn't put like men at the front of the line, women at the back、right. of the line. Common sense. Common sense. Non-discrimination. Right. Yep. And now they're saying, well, actually, sex means gender identity, which means your healthcare plans, if they pay for a double mastectomy in the case of breast cancer, they have to pay for it in the case of a woman who wants to identify as a man. If the hospital performs a hysterectomy or a mastectomy in the case of cancer,、mm-hmm. they have to perform it in the case of a woman who wants to identify as a man.、Um, and the, you know, they've gone after. There,、uh, at last,、uh, I had noticed there were at least two Catholic hospitals that、mm-hmm. have been sued. Because they don't do sex reassignment procedures,、right. that number has probably increased since I last、mm-hmm. looked into this. Right now, the Biden administration is bringing back this regulation,、mm-hmm. so they're in the rulemaking process where they've announced the proposed regulation. We're now in the commenting phase. I'm pretty、yeah. sure you, you filed a comment with、yeah. Rachel Morrison on behalf of EPPC.、Yeah. Um, They haven't yet finalized this, but once they do, then we'll see many more lawsuits. And,、right? and isn't one of the problems that when government gets involved and government is trying to shape these cultural beliefs and practices、right. and getting everyone habituated into doing certain things or pushing the business community、mm-hmm. to accommodate to be ahead of where the government wants、yep. them to go, isn't the problem then that people just comply? And so we're effectively living under that kind of a, a legal regime.、Yep. Even though those regulations are don't not currently,、finalized. yes, yep. Well, and, and so part of this is also that there were many people who said one of two things:、um, either, well, I was in favor of gay rights, so of course I'm going to be in favor of trans rights. I'm in favor of gay equality, so I'm in favor of trans equality. Simply buying the whole acronym, kind of、mm-hmm. hook, line, and sinker,、mm-hmm. and not really thinking about it. I, I think there are many people. Who mouth the platitudes of transgender rights, transgender equality? Who have no idea what's going on to children? Like they just、yeah. aren't aware that puberty-blocking、mm-hmm. drugs, cross-sex hormones, surgeries, 
are happening to minors. Right? But are we seeing a little bit of fracturing there? Yes, because, thankfully. You know, I think both of us are working with people who would themselves identify as gay or yep. lesbian, and yet they're looking at the the whole transgender phenomenon and they're saying, "Wait a minute, yeah. you know, this is not in touch with reality. There's there's a reality yep. of the sexed body, and we should be allowed to make those distinctions, not just in in law, yeah. but in our language and in our cultural norms." So it's been interesting how this yeah. issue has fractured kind of the, the typical right-left uh, divisions, and, and mm -hmm. instead you're having people come together around reality. Yep, it, it, and in really interesting ways, because you have people like Andrew Sullivan, J.K. Rowling, Martina Navratilova, you know, speaking out against, to my mind, the not excesses. They're not conservatives. <laughs> um, they speak out against the excesses of transgender mm. ideology. They don't really get to the root foundation, though. And so this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a tactical alliance. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have to, you know, agree to disagree on other foundational questions. Right. I mean, when I was still at the Heritage Foundation, this is back in 2018, um, you know, I invited the first lesbian reinstated to the U.S. military after Don't Ask, Don't mm -hmm. Tell was lifted to speak. And, you know, her opening phrase was something, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but thank you to the Heritage Foundation <laughs> for providing me with what right. no center-left group would, which is a platform. Right. And, you know, she made the point that her being a lesbian never harmed another person, never interfered with the normal biological development of a minor, never took away privacy rights or equality rights um, or safety of any other person. Mm -hmm. But what's going on with the transgender phenomenon, when you let a man into a woman's private facility, when you block the puberty of a child, when you let a man compete against um, actual women, um, then you have all those violations. And, 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 and let's talk about some of those because I, yeah. I think those are important and they often don't get the headlines. So one of the things that I've been struck by recently mm -hmm. is the injustice towards right. women who are imprisoned or women who are hospitalized, who have no choice about who is going to be sharing their room, right. who is going to be undressing them yep. or or showering with them or, or any of those things. Yeah. That's, that's one of the most striking things that you've got people who have no choice about being there. They can't just get up and leave. Yeah. And yet they're being forced, women are being forced to share you know, their, their intimate spaces with males, mm -hmm. you know, which puts them at a safety risk. Yep, and, and you just saw, I mean, uh, I don't know when this will air, but it was a week ago as we were recording this, that the Fourth Circuit Court said that under the American with Disabilities Act, yeah. the law requires that prisons assign men who identify as women, even when they have fully intact male bodies that they assigned those men yeah. to women's jails. Uh, and it was after California had done this, I think it was like a year ago that Governor Newsom announced that they were gonna be doing prisons yeah. based upon gender identity. And then a report comes out several months later, you know, what the numbers were of who asked to be transferred where. It was very few women who asked to be transferred <laughs> to, to male prison, jail, right? but yeah. it was a lot more men who asked mm -hmm. to be transferred to ladies jail. And then what you saw, a number of women who reported being sexually assaulted. And if, and if memory serves, at least one of them was then pregnant. Yeah, right? yeah I think and, there were two from New two, Jersey. Two of them. And, yeah. and, and this is a gross violation. In, in the same way that, you know, I think many of our um, uh, viewers would know in the religious liberty context, just because you go to jail doesn't mean you give up your religious liberty mm -hmm. rights. And there was an important Supreme Court case involving um, death row inmate and religious liberty to have a spiritual advisor. In this case, it was mm -hmm. a Southern Baptist mm -hmm. inmate wanted to have a Southern Baptist uh, pastor in the execution chamber. And the court ruled eight to one in favor of protecting the religious liberty freedoms, the rights, even of an inmate on death row. Well, that's certainly going to be true for the bodily integrity, privacy, and safety rights. Or it should be. It should, it should be. be. Yeah. I mean, as a moral matter, mm -hmm. it should be. And yet what we're seeing is that as an ideological matter, we're placing um, the gender identity claims of males who identify as female over the actual rights of women. Right. We're prioritizing or privileging yep. their feelings of who they believe themselves to be yeah. and insisting that everyone else be part of that narrative, yep. play along with it. I, I think of it often like a stage. You know, if someone goes on stage and says, well, I'm the king, everyone else on stage treats him as the king. But we don't get to do that in real life. You know, we don't get to dictate what people um, think about us in, in, in reality. We don't get to change yep. reality. And, and this also takes place in the education context. I mean, you and I had a Zoom with some female athletes. You know, I won't mm -hmm. say where just to yeah. protect their identity, but th these were female athletes who uh, were being forced by the school administrators, by the coaches, et cetera, et cetera, to have a male on their sports team and to share a locker room with that male, fully intact male body, 
um, who was not, you know, trying to change, you know, in a discreet private way, but walking around Probably. the locker room open. And the girls were told to just shut up and tolerate it. I mean, and so it's important to say, you know, who the concrete um, victims are of this ideology in terms of privacy and safety and equality. But I think women lose. Women lose big time. Mm -hmm. But then it's also important to see that the people who are transitioning themselves are mm -hmm. victims, um, especially when this is happening to children, right? So, so my heart breaks for those little kids yeah. that are being told by the adults in their lives that they're actually trapped in the wrong body, or that they might be gender fluid or a gender hybrid. You know, the little kids being placed on puberty blocking drugs. Mm -hmm. My heart breaks for the parents who are being told, would you rather have a live son or a dead daughter? Right. And so many of them, you know, they kind of have doubts. They don't think this is best, but the medical experts have told them that this is the only path forward for their kids. And isn't that one of the things that, that where the culture shapes beliefs? So you have mm -hmm. this movement that's imposed and trying to impose its view of reality and erasing yeah. the significance of the sex body. But because they're changing the language, they've infiltrated sort of corporate culture yeah. so that now we have all these requirements in corporations. We see it in, in healthcare. We see it in schools, education, yeah. as you said. I think that changes how the average person begins yes. to think, or they feel intimidated or lose confidence that their their you know their sense that wait a minute yep. I know the truth you're a male I'm a female that doesn't change I, I think they're intimidated, intimidated. And, and parents yeah. especially no, and that's really helpful because you know earlier you had asked you know how did we get to the the, the moment movement um, phenomenon and I said you know the first way was people who were already on board with mm -hmm. gay marriage just you know said well i believe in the whole lgb and t mm -hmm. i think the other way were people who were opposed to gay marriage and they learned the wrong lessons from that they were look look we opposed it we spoke out we stuck our necks mm -hmm. up and our heads got chopped off yeah. and so then they went silent right and you've seen this with certain religious leaders you've seen this with certain religious communities you've seen this with certain politicians they said well look we fought the legal redefinition mm -hmm. of marriage and lost why should we fight the legal redefinition yeah. of sex or cost. and then lose their yeah. cost? And that's what I think you're, you're, you're describing at here is that there are some people who know better, but they've been yeah. intimidated, bullied into silence, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and there are some people who know better and actually have those pangs of conscience. They actually, you know, they're, they're literally biting their tongue out of yeah. fear. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, I think it's wrong, but it's just not worth fighting over. And I can remember people like that when I published the book, they're like, in 2016, you're writing a book on Trump. Why? They're like, this isn't that big of a deal. It's a small mm. subset of a subset. You, know, you already have all of these enemies because of the gay marriage work and the religious liberty work. Why are you going to do it <laughs> on the transgender? Yeah. And, you know, my tongue-in-cheek response, well, you know, Janis Joplin, freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose. All those people already hate me, so like, you can't <laughs> hate me anymore. But then the more serious response was you don't actually see the juggernaut that's coming, um, that all of these well-funded organizations aren't going to stop this isn't just about kind of a live and let live modus mm -hmm. vivendi. This is I, about I think that's imposing a, point. a new cultural norm, mm -hmm. a new public orthodoxy. I think back to Robbie George's book, The Clash of Orthodoxies, yeah. um, that he had published. I think it was like my senior, maybe it was earlier. My, I might have read it my senior year of college. He might have published it my freshman year. But you know that that diagnosis of what was going on you know, almost 20 years ago is now very much accurate. We're living you it. see it. Yeah. We have two different anthropologies, two mm -hmm. different understandings of the human person. And all of the legal changes are at the service of the cultural change, because right? it's not just about mm -hmm. changing the law, but changing the law is a tool for changing the culture, which is a tool for changing beliefs. Because right? mm -hmm. what they really want, it's not just about getting a wedding cake in the case of Jack Phillips, the masterpiece baker. They want to eliminate any people who believe heretical views about marriage, same things taking place on the gender and identity question. Right? They don't want yeah. people to believe that we're created male or female. And, and I think male and female are created for each other. Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. I think that's why we're seeing youth culture just flooded with this, whether it's social media or the TV shows, as you mentioned yep. earlier, and now through the schools. So it really is about imposing a, mm -hmm. a false anthropology, a vision yes. of who we are, and coercing everyone to go along, to buy I, into it. I gave a talk yesterday for a, a Lutheran church, where was I, in Nashville, and you know, I showed them the image of the gender-bred person and the gender unicorn, and the almost universal reaction when you show these things to adults is they kind of like, they laugh, they roll their eyes, the, the response is those things are ridiculous. And that is the natural reaction for an adult. And then you point out to them, this graphic's not meant for you, this graphic's right. meant for your kids and your grandkids. And when your kids see the gender unicorn, it looks like Barney. 
the purple dinosaur. This is meant they to like capture. It. They yes. buy it. Yeah. It's a rainbow yeah. array of these, you know, rainbow um, uh, spectra, right? Because mm -hmm. it has five different aspects right. of our identity. They all exist along spectra, um, and this is meant to capture their imagination. This is and, meant and to catechize your children, mm -hmm. and then the parents kind of are like, "Oh, wow." Like this and, isn't and a laughing matter. I, I, like I think that's kind of a good place to, to end here, hmm. is just emphasizing that realization that culture change matters. It's about our children's futures. Yes. It's about our, our beliefs, but also those foundational institutions, family, faith, yeah. churches, you know, what, what the norms of a society are. So this is a battle worth fighting. So thank you very yeah. much for all that yeah. you do. Thank you. Gender ideology affects all of us. As it permeates our culture and social institutions, it's sowing confusion, changing our language and our laws, and affecting our work and relationships. I speak all around the country about the truth of the human person and the harms of gender ideology. In every diocese and parish, there are Catholic families whose lives have been turned upside down by transgender ideology. Many experience pain and alienation because they, or their loved ones, have become confused about who they are, or they experience gender dysphoria, or reject their sexual identity as male or female and have come out and identified as transgender. So it's important to acknowledge that pain, to listen and respond with sensitivity and unfailing kindness, and to assure those who are struggling and their families that God loves them and so do we. They need our prayers and support. But they, and our culture as a whole, also need us to speak the truth in love and to push back strongly against gender ideology and its terrible harms. We need to be confident and reassuring that happiness and peace are found only in the truth. Pope Francis describes gender ideology as a global war against marriage and the family which seeks to erase sexual difference and destroy the anthropological basis of the family. Pope Benedict XVI warned that gender ideology would lead people to deny their creator, God, and lose sight of our human dignity. These are strong words, and they're true. Every culture reflects an underlying anthropology, an understanding of the human person. For centuries, our culture has been deeply grounded in the truth, embracing a vision of the human person based on reality, natural law, and Christian anthropology. But gender ideology rejects the truth about who we are, and it seeks to displace Christian anthropology with a false, devastatingly harmful set of beliefs rooted in Gnostic philosophies, Marxism, atheism, and queer theory. Gender ideology is a global belief system that promotes the false ideas that identity is the choice of the individual, that feelings determine reality, and that traditional structures like family and religion are oppressive and must be dismantled. As gender ideology sweeps through our culture, it seeks to change our language, laws, and relationships. Let's talk about language first. Language is our touchstone to reality. It enables us to describe the truth and communicate it to others. But gender ideology has corrupted our language, redefining the meanings of basic words like man or woman, and disconnecting these words from the reality they're meant to express. In every sector of society, we see transgender activists promoting a new vocabulary based on ideology. Companies, schools, media, and ordinary people are being pressured to use the language of gender ideology or risk being branded as bigots or haters. That's not right. Language matters, but it must be grounded in the truth about who we are. It's critically important to understand that when we talk about a person's identity as male or female, we're talking about their sex, not gender. Sex has an objective meaning based on immutable biological facts. We are male or female from the moment of conception. The word gender is a source of confusion. It was long used to denote masculine and feminine forms of language, but gender was applied to persons in the late 60s and 70s by a sexologist named Dr. John Money, who sought to distinguish and later disconnect a person's social roles from the biological fact of being male or female. 
After the sexual revolution, people got used to using gender as a polite synonym for sex, meaning male or female. But in academia and in politics, gender has never meant sex. Gender and gender identity are subjective terms, disconnected from the fact of the sexed body. In language and law, gender identity now refers to a person's subjective feelings about who they are. It's self-perception, often based on sex stereotypes, and it can change. It can't be verified or known by others. It's disconnected from the biological fact that a person is always either male or female. And yet gender ideology claims that a person's gender identity determines identity, overriding even the reality of sex. So as Catholics, let's say what we mean. There are two sexes, male or female. Sex is an objective fact, while gender identity is merely a feeling. It's also important to know that transgender activists and politicians are trying to pass or reinterpret laws against sex discrimination to include gender identity. But laws that protect gender identity threaten the rights, safety, and privacy of females. Sex-based rights, such as those granted by Title IX, were meant to ensure equal opportunity for females while respecting the need for private spaces, such as bathrooms and locker rooms, based on sex. Under gender identity laws promoted by progressives, males can intrude on female-only spaces simply by declaring that they identify as a woman. The risk to female safety and privacy is immense. Gender identity laws threaten the conscience rights, free speech, and religious freedom of anyone who rejects the beliefs of gender ideology. There's no room for compromise when it comes to reality. Our laws must protect the reality of sex and sexual difference, not attempt to silence or coerce those who disagree. And that leads to my final point about gender ideology's impact on the culture. The truth matters. The cultural impact of transgender ideology is undeniable. It's unraveling our social fabric, distorting our language, threatening religious freedom, and undermining the catechesis, moral formation, and psychological stability of the next generation. And because of cancel culture that shames and silences those who speak the truth, many good people have fallen silent. But we can't be silent. Or, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote long ago, we will be forced to live by lies. And that's untenable for Christians. Our God is the God of truth and love. So be bold and be not afraid. you've just heard episode one of the transgender movement what catholics need to know uh great discussion uh your host mary hassan with ryan anderson who's the president of the ethics and public policy center in washington dc the author of when harry became sally responding to the transgender moment and that's available at ewtn's religious catalog that's ewtnrc.com and just a little note here if you're listening to this um during the day, uh, during the live presentation, we will encore uh, today's episode tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern Time right here on EWTN Radio and on at EWTN.com slash radio. I'd like to bring on now our Monday host of EWTN's Open Line, Father John Tregilio. And Father Tregilio, you have spent some time, as you do now, at Mount St. Mary's in academia uh, helping to form uh, our seminarians but you spent, you know, a couple of decades as a pastor in parish life, and I'm sure that that many of the issues that were addressed in this first episode uh, today have come across your path uh, probably more than once. <clears throat> yeah, I would say so. Uh, I was a pastor in two parishes for 16 years, and I was a parochial vicar for um, 15 years before that. One of the things that I found...
in parish life is that you know parents are deeply concerned about the welfare of their children, whether it's their uh, physical welfare, moral, spiritual, and otherwise. And a lot of them are very concerned about their kids in school, especially in in the public school system, because a lot of these issues that were talked about in the program today, uh, there's an agenda out there. And if I was a dad with, um, and I had children, especially if I had a young daughter who was going to school or anywhere, in fact, you know, we're going out to eat the dinner and you go to a restaurant and they have to use the bathroom, I'm really concerned about, you know, is there someone, a man identifying himself as a woman using a public bathroom uh, and my daughter may go in there? Or if I have a daughter who wants to play in sports, is she going to have an unfair disadvantage because there's guys who are purporting or want to be claimed as women competing against them? Uh, you know, th- these are very practical issues as well as the very philosophical and theological ones that uh, obviously are, are almost never addressed on, on, in the public except here at EWTN. Yeah. We'd love to hear your reactions or any questions that you may have for Father Tregilio. Give us a call. The number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. If you're outside of the United States and Canada, we'd still love to hear from you. Your question is 1-205-271-2985. And we'll even put you straight to the front of the line at one two zero five two seven one two nine eight five. A couple of interesting aspects to the discussion that we just listened to. Uh, one of those is that um, gender ideology affects all of us. Um, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Anderson mentioned that he had the great privilege of interviewing the first lesbian who was reinstated into the military after Don't Ask, Don't Tell went into effect, and that she emphasized that her choice to be a lesbian really didn't affect anybody other than her. Than her. Whereas this transgender ideology really affects all of us. Absolutely, because uh, it's going against a very uh, fundamental principle that, uh, you know, you and I have a human nature that is created by God, and we do not define that nature. The nature defines us. And part of our human nature, besides that we're body and soul, is that we have, uh, we have a sex, we have a gender, either masculine or feminine. And to make that into this bizarre fluidity, where not only are people believing they can change, but that there's this spectrum that, you know, is not just male or female, but it can be a combination of both. Um, it, you know, it goes against, you know, philosophy, theology, as well as science. But subjectively speaking, people can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm partially human, I'm partially uh, feline or canine. Um, that's the next step we're going to go to because just as, you know, uh, people said, well, you know, we can have same-sex marriage, you know, um, polygamy is going to be already uh, on the docket. Um, you know, this thing is going to affect everybody, not just those people and individuals who are claiming they're having this issue or this goal of transgendering, but it's going to affect every man and woman because it, it, it attacks the very essence of what it means to be a man or a woman. We'd love to hear from you. The phone number is 833-288-EWTN. That's 833-288-3986. Wide open phone lines. Pick up the phone and give us a call. Father, this should be the preeminent women's rights issue of our lifetime. Should it not? I would think so, uh, particularly since you know so much progress has been made for the equality uh, of women in the workplace and, uh, you know, uh, elsewhere, that, you know, that women have an inherent dignity because they're human beings. And now that their very definition is is not only being uh, attempted to be redefined, but it's to be trivialized. You know, again, I go back to that issue. If if a young woman uh, or middle-aged or elderly woman is competing against Men who claim to be women, that's unfair. It's unfair to them. It's unfair to uh, the whole general society. 
And likewise, you know, this uh, aspect of gender, they, they underscore this idea that gender identity is different from sex. Um, it's not, you know, either you're male or female, and, you know, how you express that, how you dress, how you behave uh, is, is one thing. But the fact remains that, you know, uh, and, and what's interesting is when you look at people's fill-out forms, when you go to, to the hospital, they ask you, what is your gender? What's your, your sex, male or female? Um, you can add all the other boxes that you want, like now, heaven forbid, in, in universities, even Catholic ones, um, there are like 27 different gender options. There's 42 different uh, marital statuses that you can put on there. Um, scientifically, you know, your XY or XX chromosomes, that's it. And, you know, the women especially are going to lose all the ground that they had um, achieved over the last uh, several decades because of this issue. 833-288-EWTN is our toll-free number. It's a free phone call anywhere in North America. 833-288-3986. And just a quick reminder of it tomorrow are the midterm elections here in the United States. Uh, there are many important issues this year, but none are more important than life itself. And as Mother Angelica would have encouraged all of us, remember to vote and to vote for life. Uh, to the phones we go. Tracy is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, listening to us on Sirius XM Channel 130. Tracy, welcome to the program. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Go right um, ahead. I guess... My question, I don't know, it's just, it's something that I think everybody needs to really think about. I mean, I'm an educator, I'm, I work in public school, and, you know, I, I've, I've seen the change in the last five, ten years in the classroom and in the whole dynamics of the school setting. Um, I guess what I'm really having a difficult time with, um, with all this, is now that they're allowing parents to physically, um, you know, take away their identity as a male or a female because they don't they don't identify as such. Um, I don't know. I just I'm really I'm really struggling with that, considering the you know a child's mind isn't fully developed until they're 21. You know, how can we as adults say it's okay? to change a child's gender at 5 or 8 or 12 or 15 when their mind is not fully developed. I think you hit on an excellent point, and it's a two-edged sword, too. Uh, you got the one case that you mentioned where the parents are imposing upon the child. They want them to, you know, whatever, for whatever reason, they don't think they're the right gender or whatever. So the parents are imposing this upon the kid. They're having operations and hormone treatment and, and so forth. But what about the case, too, where the child uh, wants to change their gender and the parents are either unaware or against it? There's measures that are being t uh, enacted now that would allow the child to circumvent parental authority. And as you said, you know, they're not fully developed yet. Uh, they're not allowed to have, um, you know, we have a distinction in law that they cannot have consensual sex until they're completely uh, legal adults. Uh, likewise, we don't want them consuming alcohol. Uh, we don't want them smoking cigarettes. Uh, there's certain things that we say until you're old enough, you know, you're not able to make the, the adult mature decision in these issues. And yet when it comes to their gender, uh, their, their, their sex, either they or their parents can, can decide for them or they can alter this. That And it's, you know, in many cases, it's irreversible when you do something like that. But I heard of cases where, um, you know, couples, uh, whether it's same sex or um, a man and a woman, have a child and they say, well, we don't like the fact that he's a, he's a he or she's a she. Um, or they're telling us, you know, they want to be something different. Kids are, are, are fickle because that's part of growing up is, you know, you're, you're undecided. And to uh, either allow the parents to do that or to allow the child themselves to do it without their parent parental consent. Uh, this is completely, not just bizarre, it, it's abhorrent, as you rightly point out. So 
I'm glad that you are disturbed by it, and I think everybody, everybody needs to be disturbed by that. We need to say enough's enough. Uh, you know, a kid can't even take Tylenol or uh, ibuprofen at school without permission, and yet, you know, we're saying, well, if they need to have an abortion or if they want to have their gender changed, uh, you know, they should be allowed to do that. No, absolutely not. God bless you, Tracy. Thanks so much for the phone call. Next up is Mary in Detroit, Michigan, uh, also listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Mary, you're on with Father John. Thank you. Um, you mentioned XX and XY is male and, uh, female and male. Uh, how, do you, I, how do you respond? I have a, know somebody that's XXY, so he identifies as intersex and feels he's both male and female, even though I think his genitalia is all male. Yeah, there, there are always some uh, biological uh, anomalies. And certainly, you know, I, I was a science major in the college seminary, and I, I know that they exist, but they're extremely rare. Um, most of these cases where people are transgendering or, or moving from one to another, or at least they're attempting to, uh, that's not the issue of is, are they XXY. That's a, a, a unique condition, and you've got instances where someone may be born with both genitalia. Um, there may be a, a, a need to assign one because they might be equally assignable. All right. I don't know more precise, precise details on that, but I would say that the overwhelming majority of the cases that we're talking about today that they want to legalize and make available and in some cases mandate if the kid insists or the parents insist is not an issue of XXY. Uh, that does exist, but it's a, a exceptional rarity. Uh, we're talking about people who are XX or XY, and then going against that, and and not because for biological reasons, it's psychological, sociological, and I wouldn't say political now. You know, and really, Father, in some ways, uh, the 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 XX and the XY people that are making the issue today really do a disservice to those anomalies that do exist out there exactly i mean there's i mean the science the medicine is out there and people who have that particular condition you know they need our support they need our uh you know uh, guidance but we're not talking about those rare exceptions we're talking about you know the majority of people who fall into that category of either xx or xy either you're male or you're female and just because you feel or you believe you think you know you're the wrong gender uh, that's a psychological thing. In the same way, again, I mean, it sounds preposterous, but I've already, I mean, I know for a fact when I was uh, helping in New Jersey, uh, uh, there was a friend of mine in his parish, and the kids were kids were going to public school. He got in trouble, one the, the, the son, because he said to one of his classmates, she said she identifies as a cat. And he said, no, you're not. You're a human, human being. He got called into the principal's office and was reprimanded. That's how bizarre... But that follows the logical conclusion if we take this to its furthest extreme. Uh, next stop is Lincoln, Nebraska. Joanne is a first-time caller listening on Spirit Catholic Radio. Joanne, thanks for holding. Welcome to the program. Yes. Uh, uh, thanks for taking my calls. Well, here's my question. Um, I'm a mom with uh, kids and grown kids, and they have kids of their own. And then I have grandchildren, granddaughter, grandson, the conversation came up with my grandson, uh, goes to Catholic school and Catholic parents, but he said, well, you know, <coughs> um, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a he, but I can be a her. And it's the influence of, you know, um, maybe a day camp counselor that is a, was a male that is now uh, becoming a female. And I want to know how to respond First of all, as a, a Catholic grandma, and as not to overreact, but how to gently get get clarity here. So I'm just looking for some um, 101 on this. Thank you. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for calling in. And, uh, you know, I, I use this analogy with, with young people. I said, you know, um, you can't change your your ethnicity or your race, uh, you may may not prefer what you are, but that's who you are. And, uh, you know, we're not defined in the sense that, you know, we're de predetermined. 
because of our uh, gender or because of our race or ethnicity. But you know, I'm I'm half Italian, half Polish. I, I, that's who I am. I can't deny that. I mean, I took the DNA test, and that that's conclusive. Likewise, you know, if someone's um, you know white or black or Latino, um, that's a fact, and it doesn't make you determine how you behave or what kind of person. We're all equal in the eyes of God. But facts are facts, and biology is biology. And, um, you know, this desire to change, and I think because people think that, you know, I'm not constricted by uh, by uh, scientific truths, well, you know, that's not, that doesn't apply, <laughs> you know. Um, gravity is gravity, and if I go to the top of the building and fall off, I'm going to fall down, and, you know, the bad things are going to happen. It doesn't matter if I disagree with gravity. It doesn't matter if I think it doesn't exist. It does. And, uh, you know, dealing with your grandchildren, you want to deal with them very honestly. You want to deal with them very charitably and say, well, you know, I'm sorry, but, you know, this is the fact. If this is who you are, you're a male, you're a female, you're of this ethnic background, you know, you were born here in this particular country. Uh, those are aspects who... Form, and as, as well as your religion, you know, the religion you were born into. These are all par components of who I am. Some of them I can change, some of them I, I don't. You know, your political affiliation, you could easily change just by going online and, and changing your registration. But your gender, um, you know, your ethnicity and that, those are things that are immutable, and yet they do not determine your behavior. You know, you as a human being have a free will, a rational intellect. And the problem is that people are sold a, a bad bill of goods by these these uh, proponents, especially, as you mentioned, someone who's already out there uh, in, in left field, so to speak, is now trying to indoctrinate. Um, you don't want to treat your grandchildren uh, as too childlike, uh, but certainly you want to show uh, love and compassion, and yet you have to tell them the truth. Uh, next, we head to Ontario, Canada. Geraldine is listening on Sirius XM Channel 130. Geraldine, you're on with Father John. Hi, Father John. Wonderful to talk to you. Go right ahead. Thank you. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned that we missed the point. I think this whole fluid gender nonsense and the, you know, trans stuff, the whole mess of it is an attack on life. Because every child that is allowed to transition, so-called, and every person who has relations with the same sex, none of them can reproduce. We're going to reduce our population the way Bill Gates wants us to. I think you do hit on an important point, um, you know, for, uh, for the human race to continue. We need that distinction between male and female. And that's the only way human life uh, will continue. Now, I know they're going to try to do things differently in the laboratory, in the test tube, in the Petri dish, but it's not going to be, you know, uh, human life as it was intended to be, and it's not going to be normal uh, human life. You know, that's why we, t we warn people, you know, there are inherent uh, difficulties, dangers, and immoralities with uh, in vitro fertilization, but also some of these other attempts to... You know, that men want to become pregnant, uh, that people want to have a baby that's artificially, you know, uh, inseminated by donor sperm and donor eggs. All these things, uh, you know, in, in an alleged attempt to accommodate people who are having legitimate difficulties having children, the exception is going to become the norm. And like you said, uh, you know, fertility is something that is by nature... Um, part of God's design and if we circumvent that you know we've got people contracepting all over the place and then we've got people using artificial means of conception uh, both of them are not good for the human race God bless you Geraldine thanks so much for the phone call next up is Anne in the great state of Connecticut listening at EWTN.com and you're on with Father John Trujillo Thank you. It's wonderful to speak with you. And we're wondering if there's something in the Catholic Church, some organizations that, that, are, that are coming about in response to this transgender uh, issue, and what are the names of those organizations and that we can recommend them to our pastor or our faith formation directors, 
because LGBTQ is coming into the schools. We know it's we know it's there in our town. So uh, just some help to um, bring these parents and children to some truth within the parish. That, that's an excellent question. Unfortunately, I don't know of any myself organizations that are already in place. I'm sure that there will be. I know the bishops are going to be talking about this in a week or so at their plenary meeting in Baltimore. Obviously, we have the many organizations and institutes to help us with the defense of human life to protect the unborn within the womb with pro-life groups. Like we have the Pennsylvania Federation of Pro-Life. We have you know, Pro-Life America. We have all these wonderful institutions, organizations. Um, I don't know of any particular group or organization right now that is tackling this particular issue. We're just doing it in general, like EWTN's making these uh, programs available. Uh, certainly dioceses are working on that, but I am sure that, that you know that's going to be discussed, and we need something that addresses this particular issue, but also organically shows that it's connected because this is a pro-life issue. This, you know, you cannot compartmentalize and, and segment these in such a way that they stand by themselves. They are connected. So uh, this is a life issue um, because part of human life is not just that you're conceived and, and you exist as a human being, but also your gender, your sex is part of your human life. And Anne, if you stay tuned with us all week long on Wednesday and Thursday's episodes, I think you may uh, have a little bit more direct answer to those questions with some of the resources that you might be looking for. So stick with us for the remainder of the week. We'll head next to MJ in Yakima, Washington, listening on Sacred Heart Radio. Uh, MJ, you're on with Father John. Hey, uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Um, I, I don't have a question so much as I have, I guess, some input here. Um, I, I used to work, uh, actually I still do, but it was more heavily involved with uh, an organization that combated human trafficking uh, in Florida. And one of the things that we found was a real hindrance was there were many different groups that agreed on this point but disagreed on many other points, and they refused to work together. Mm. And I guess my, my input on this would be, I personally, for example, might not necessarily come down on the same side as the panel here today on every issue, but I could not agree more with everything. I mean, every point you have brought up today has been spot on, 100% accurate, the science, the theology, the philosophy, the, all of it. Um, but I, we've really faced a lot of um, difficulty in moving the ball forward on human trafficking at least in our organization, because folks just won't work together because of other things they disagree on. Well, we like mm. guns, we don't like guns. We want abortion, we don't want abortion. And so it just we just kind of stagnate. With this, I guess all I would ask was, let's be willing to create coalitions on important points, because honestly, I don't think we're going to win this, this social battle uh, if we don't unify and if we don't have consistent messaging across, uh, across the board. I agree with you, MJ, 100%. Oh, yeah, me too. And unfortunately, yeah, and unfortunately that will be the final phone call that we're able to take today, but we'll be doing this all week. Be sure to tune in for the remainder of the week for this week-long EWTN Open Line event, uh, the transgender movement, what Catholics should know. And, Father John, uh, in the last minute we have left here, you're going on pilgrimage. Yes, I'm taking seminarians to March 3rd to 11th. If anybody's interested in helping and being a sponsor, just go to my website, tregelio.org. And you said there you're going to the Holy Land? No, my <laughs> Holy Land, yes. Italy. Rome, Assisi, Orvieto, and Siena. Okay, very good. Would you leave us with a blessing? Benedica vos omnipotens Deus, Pater, et Filius, et Spiritus Sanctus. Amen. Amen. On behalf, on behalf of our host, Father John Tregilio, our producer, Michael McCall, call screener, Matt Gubensky, and our social media maven, Mr. Jeff Burson. I'm Jack Williams. Thanks so much for tuning in to Day One. We're here all week with the transgender movement, what Catholics need to know. God bless.